Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the drscore.com website. We have another terrific show for you today. On Getting Better Healthcare, we talk about our healthcare system, how to manage it, how to manage your health. Today, we're going to talk about how that system responds to emergencies. We see the healthcare system is pretty darn good on a day to day basis. You know, you'll hear me talk optimistically about our healthcare system, and you and I both know there are problems with that system, but I'm kind of an optimist. Uh, we've all heard stories about the problems. We all know people who had had problems with their insurance company. Who knows? Maybe the current health care reform will help improve that to a degree. All that said, we need to fix those problems, but we shouldn't focus exclusively on those problems. We have great people working in the healthcare system. We have tremendous resources devoted to health care. We have amazing tests, amazing medications. We don't want to give up the good parts, and we don't want to lose sight of those good good parts. Now, our healthcare system doesn't just operate on regular, ordinary days. Our healthcare system also has to work on days that are unusual, on days when there are tragedies. Sometimes, when there are amazing tragedies that are extraordinary magnitude, our healthcare system is flexible so that it can help deal with those situations, but it's not that flexible. Um, when there are disasters, um, volunteers are needed. People need to contribute. Numerous organizations at the periphery of the healthcare system get involved. And one of those is the American Red Cross. I mean, talk about branding, the Red Cross. That Those words mean um, responsiveness in an emergency. They mean helping people. For over 100 years, the Red Cross has been our country's premier emergency response organization. It's involved in war. It's involved in disaster. It's even involved in, in, on a day-to-day -day basis in our healthcare system. And we're going to learn today more about the Red Cross and what it does by speaking with Laura Howe. Laura is Senior Director for Public Affairs at the American Red Cross National Headquarters in Washington, D.C. She trained at the University of Missouri in Columbia. And I just love the way she presents what she does. She says, for the past eight years, I've had the opportunity to work for one of the world's greatest humanitarian organizations, I have the privilege of spending my workday leading the media relations and visibility efforts for the American Red Cross. Not only do I have an exciting job, but I have the good fortune to know that my work helps others as well. That's the kind of feeling that people in the healthcare system have on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Sure, I'm happy to join you. So I understand the Red Cross has been around for over 100 years and that it focuses on emergencies, but can you tell me a little more about it? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, the mission of the Red Cross is to help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies of all kinds. And so we really sort of run the gamut of being an organization that can help America not only uh, you deal with and cope with emergencies, but also get ready for emergencies as well. So um, probably the, the best thing that uh, the people know us for, the thing we're most well-known for, um, is our blood services um, and our blood collection that we do. We um, collect um, a little less than half of the nation's um, blood supply, and uh, we, uh, we are stewards of that. And uh, I think people also know us very well for our disaster relief services, um, both here in the States and internationally as well. Uh, you know, uh, we do about 70,000 disasters here in the states um, every year. And, no, wait a minute. And, wait a minute. I'm oh, sorry. Sure. I'm sorry. You know, I, I know about Katrina. I uh-huh. know about Haiti. Uh, I haven't heard about 70,000 disasters. You know, I, you sort of think of the Red Cross, okay, there's a disaster and yeah. it's going to help. But 70,000 disasters? What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I tell people that number, it always it always it shocks them a little bit and it, it makes people pause. Um, but we're talking about everything from, from things the size of Haiti and Katrina, so great big disaster responses, to things that you might not think of as a disaster in your community but is, is terrible for the people that it happens to. So I'm talking about things like home fires. Um, home fires are the number one emergency that we respond to. So, you know, if you've got a, a house fire or an apartment fire that happens in your community, we'll show up on the scene. We'll make sure that uh, the people there have a place to stay. So oftentimes we'll put them up in a hotel or we'll, we'll, we'll establish a shelter if it's a large number of people uh, where folks can stay. We'll make sure they have food. We'll make sure they have the clothing that they need. Uh, just enough emergency help to get them through the first couple of days of their recovery until things like insurance or whatnot can kick in. Um, then, you know, there's the medium-sized disasters like the flooding that's going on, um, you know, all over the East Coast this year. So, uh, you and the, and the flooding that you see uh, along the Red River in, in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, so, you know, responding to, to those sort of mid-level disasters like that, the tornadoes and the, the floods and those other weather-related emergencies. So we really run the gamut of things from the fire that happens down the street at 3 a.m. all the way to the Haiti and Katrina-sized emergencies um, that are, are very big and very prominent in the media. So you, you do those things, but what is the Red Cross? Is it like a a big bank that just holds a lot of money and, and, and fills <laughs> needs? Or do you have tentacles that go out into the 70,000 well, we different bank, places across uh, the country? That would make our job really easy. Um, but actually, no. We um, we have a structure where we have a national headquarters in Washington. But frankly, that's not where the work is done. We have some, some support staff there. But the work is really done in our um, – 700 chapters across the nation. So in lots of communities across across the country, we've got local Red Cross offices and local Red Cross chapters. Um, and it's the volunteers and the staff that work in those chapters that are the ones out responding to that fire at 3 in the morning. Um, they're the ones who are out teaching the CPR and first aid classes um, that we offer. They're the ones who... Um, you know, who are doing the great things every day in the community. So it's really the work of the Red Cross happens in local communities. And, and you can always go to redcross.org, enter your zip code, and find your local chapter so you know where to get those CPR first aid classes, uh, where to go if you have a fire, um, 
where to go if you're a, a military family and you need help too, because that's a service that a lot of people don't know we provide um, as well. We uh, we provide um, help to to millions of members of the military each year too. So um, you know, there's lots of things that the Red Cross does, and and we have our headquarters here in D.C. But the bulk of the work is really done uh, by the the hundreds of thousands, about the about half million uh, Red Cross volunteers across the country in communities all over the place, um, you know, around the corner from everybody, really. That's, that's tremendously impressive. And I think of the dollar value on a, on a major disaster like Katrina or Haiti, but then, boy, you got 70,000 disasters. That, yeah. that, that by itself adds up. Well, and, and, you know, 90% of the people who work with the Red Cross are volunteers. So on any given disaster operation, about 90% of the people who show up to help are volunteers. So the vast majority of the work that the Red Cross does is really done by people who volunteer their time. Um, you know, and it's, it's young people, it's retirees, it's professionals, it's everybody in between, um, you know, who volunteer a couple hours a week or, you know, they deploy on disaster operations around the country sometimes for three weeks at a time. So, um, you know, we couldn't do what we do without our volunteers. And um, it's, it, it, that's the great thing, and it's really kind of the beauty of the Red Cross is that we're led by volunteers and we're in communities all over the place. So really the, the person who shows up to, to help during an emergency or the person who's teaching your CPR and first aid class is really your neighbor around the corner. It's, it's somebody just like you. Several weeks ago, one of our guests was a dermatologist who was volunteering some time in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And he talked about um, doing his volunteer work through a Catholic charity. Now, mm-hmm. um, at least in this part of Haiti that he was at, he says he didn't see the Red Cross, but the Red Cross must have an enormous effort going on on there. And there must be issues of how you coordinate the care from the many different groups that, that want to help out. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, he may not have seen the Red Cross in the, the exact location that he was in, probably because we are coordinating with a lot of different agencies. And so the work on a big disaster operation like that gets divided up. And, you know, some agency takes a, a piece over here. We're really responsible for a lot of the sheltering uh, that's going on right now. Um, so that's one of the things that we focus on. Um, we have, we've done a lot in, um, in Haiti. We've provided emergency shelter materials to almost one million people. A million uh, people? Yeah. A million people. We're on pace to reach a million three people uh, by the first of May. Um, you know, we've also provided things like um, you know jerry cans for water. We uh, we participated in a vaccination program there as well for kids. Um, you know, we prov- um, participated in food distribution. Um, we've also been providing grants to other agencies as well because you know we do bring in the lion's share um, of the public donations, and so we often provide grants to, to places like the World Food Program, for instance. You know, um, um, we've I, I just provided want... them with $30 million um, for yeah. food. Um, we've provided $3 million to Habitat for Humanity um, to help with sheltering issues down there. Yeah, Laura, so, you know, uh, one thing oh, I, think, I think you gotta, you got to know is that people want to give mm-hmm. and people want to make sure their donation goes someplace where it belongs. Yeah. And so they're always looking for for an organization that they can count on uh, so that their money will be put to, to good use. So it sounds like the Red Cross is one of those, again, the sense of you, you want to put it someplace where you know safely that it's going to be used properly, that this is the gold standard probably. 
Well, yeah, and you know, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's interesting on a relief operation like Haiti because you really have to balance what people need right now versus what their needs are going to be in the weeks and months down the road because people people say, well, you know, you haven't spent all of your money yet. Um, well, we've gotten $106 million out of close to $400 million out the door, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. But we also have to think that um, people are going to need help for a really long time. Um, so while we've spent $106 million, we're, we're getting very close to announcing a plan to program out and to spend the rest of it so we can tell the American public exactly what the rest of that money is going to be doing for the people of Haiti in the weeks and months and even years down the road because um, we want to get people the help they need right away, but we also want to be there as long as we can for them. So we have to be smart about how we spend the money and make sure that we can meet the things they need right now and get the tarps and get the shelters out there and work with the partners and help get the food out there and, and get the clean water um, out to people when they need it. But we also need to make sure that we have enough to be here for the long haul for the people of Haiti as well. So it's a balancing act, really. You know, um, and we, we've got a lot of really good people who, who are smart about this, and they're working through the plans right now to make sure we get the immediate needs met, but we also can look to the long term, too. Yeah, when you're the big gorilla... Um, yeah. Not only do you have the responsibility to take the lion's share of maybe the work in some of these disasters, but also you have you have issues of visibility and accountability sure. like nobody else. Yeah. Kind of like Johnson yeah. and know, Johnson and Tylenol. $76 million, you know, and so when you've raised that much money for a single disaster, people ask questions as well they should. As well they should. Uh, you know, we, we want people to say, how are you spending that money? And, you know, we you can always go to redcross.org and go to our, our Haiti relief page. And really, that's where you can get the latest information about the percentages and, and where we're actually spending that money. Um, and that's, that's updated frequently. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. We're talking with Laura Howe of the American Red Cross. Laura, you mentioned the blood supply. This, since I have not fortunately been involved in many disasters personally, um, this is how I know the Red Cross best. You mm-hmm. know, working in a hospital, I, I see patients who are getting operations and they're always talking about the availability of blood and occasionally they'll talk about, oh, things are down, we have to be a little more careful. Um, you guys are responsible for over half of the blood products in the United States. Yeah, you know, we are one of the nation's uh, largest blood collection organizations. Uh, you know, we collect about six and a half million units of blood um, every year. And, uh, you know, those patients, the patients use it for everything from surgeries to, you know, accident victims to cancer patients, um, you know, who need that blood desperately. So it really is, um, you know, it's a vital part. Um, it's a vital part of what we do. And, you know, the, the thing about it is we estimate that only about 38% of the eligible population, so people, you know, 18 to 65, um, you know, uh, they're, they're eligible to give blood, about 38% of that population, but only about 8% of people who can give actually do. Um, and so, you know, you can go and give every 56 days, and we encourage people to, to give blood, um, you know, even if the Red Cross doesn't collect it in your area because we don't collect in every single corner of the nation. Um, it's good to be a blood donor just so, in general um, and so give blood it, where you can because yeah. it is always vitally needed, um, especially – you know, we're going to be coming up to the summer months. Uh, the summer months are always a time, uh, you know, when I think around the, the country the need for blood is, is great. From trauma? Uh, as well as the holidays, too. Yeah, you know, people it... are out and they're, they're traveling a lot and, and they're out and they're active. And so uh, those two times of the year in particular uh, are times when we, we absolutely need blood. So 8% of the people who are eligible give. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Well, yeah. You know, in yeah. some ways I'm thinking I'm surprised it's that high, but on the other hand, there's a lot of room for more people to donate. Now, you collect six and a half million units of blood. How much do you have to pay the donors to get them to give that blood? You know what? Here's the deal. All of our donors are voluntary donors. We Everyone. don't pay for our blood products. And, um, you know, and it, what's interesting is, and people ask us this all the time, they say, well, you know, I get my bill from the hospital and I've been charged for blood, <laughs> but you don't pay people for it. So why am I getting charged for blood? And it's, it's interesting because while the, the people who give us their blood are voluntary and we, we appreciate that, there's all kinds of costs involved in making sure that blood safely gets into the arm of the, the person who needs it. Um, so, you know, we actually, we have to pay people to, to take the blood, um, you know, our, our phlebotomists and, and the people who work to, to take the blood and there's processing fees and equipment. And, um, the great thing about the Red Cross is we have a nationwide blood network. And so if we need to move blood around because there's, you know, need in, in one place and we have more, more blood somewhere else, we have ways to be able to shift that to meet the needs. So there's transportation costs. And, um, so that's the wonderful thing, the, the, you know, we call it the gift of, of life, and it truly is a gift from someone because someone is, is voluntarily taking that, that blood right out of their arm, um, and they're giving it to somebody who, who desperately needs it. So it's, it's, it's a pretty neat process, and it's, it's neat to get to meet the blood donors or the recipients. Um, you know, you, you meet all sorts of, of people who have amazing stories about how their lives were saved. Um, with a with you know a pint or two of of blood, I know a very good friend of mine who actually works for blood services was a premature baby and had to have um, numerous transfusions and um, that's that's the story he tells all the time is that you know he now works for the organization that saved his life um, as a as a baby you know as someone who works in the healthcare system, uh, I like you um, feel really good about being involved in something that improves, that makes an impact on people's lives. And, um, and I give blood regularly, uh, and, um, you know, I, I get that feeling from giving blood, the same kind of feeling I get from, you know, giving free care in the medical setting. Sure. Um, one of the things that I found helpful is now that I carry a PDA, uh, is, is uh, after giving blood, is to set it to remind me two months later to go ahead and give again. And, uh, yep. and you know, modern technology makes it so easy to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you certainly you certainly can do that because every 56 days, um, you know, you're eligible uh, <clears throat> to give. And, and, you know, that's that's the great thing. Some people, the great thing about the Red Cross is there's, there's ways to get engaged all over the place. So, you know, maybe you can't afford to give a, a financial donation, you know, but you can give a blood donation. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you can't give blood for whatever reason, um, you know, but you can volunteer. So there's all sorts of ways for people to get involved um, and to, to be a part of helping other people. Um, that really is sort of the beauty of the Red Cross is that you can you can help people in so many different ways. If, if you can't do one thing, there's another way that you can certainly um, get engaged and, uh, and be a part of that. And interestingly enough, we even help facilitate getting blood to Haiti. Um, that does not uh, surprise me. Yeah, yeah, they certainly needed it down there, and we were able to bring the the blood donation community, uh, the blood banking community together, and uh, we facilitated um, 
getting getting blood down there. We actually provided uh, about 1,100 units um, of Red Cross blood uh, to go into Haiti, and then coordinated the the shipment down there. Um, you know, from some of the other blood organizations. Um, I think about 700 uh, units came from other other blood providers as well, and so. Um, it really was a great effort um, around the nation to, to be able to get blood products to the people of Haiti when they needed it the most. When we talk about giving blood, I'm sure in most people's mind is, is a bag of red blood cells and, and that 56-day, you can do it every basically every two months. Um, but in addition to that, there's platelets. And I understand uh, platelet giving is a little bit different than red cell giving, that you can do it more often, and that... Um, you know, it's a great way to go see a movie, at least uh, in my town. <laughs> uh, yeah, platelet giving actually takes a little bit longer, and I never actually donated platelets. Um, so I, don't, I, I can only kind of tell you about the experience. But, yeah, from what I understand, uh, the platelet donation takes, uh, I believe, a couple of hours um, at least uh, to yeah, be I able think, to, to, to do that. Yeah, in my personal experience, it was about, uh, about two hours. It's perfect. It's time to last about as long as a movie. So they set you up with the tubes and they put a TV screen in front of you, at least at, at, at our blood bank, our, our Red Cross here in Winston-Salem. You know, we, we, we do that on, on purpose. We work with Hollywood um, so that, so that we, could, we, we can make the platelet donation exactly the length of a movie. That's, that's <laughs> perfect. Well, um, tell me, there, there were probably – the Red Cross does so much. There's probably many other things that the Red Cross does. You mentioned um, the military. I think, you know, when you read about war – you read about the Red Cross and, and its role, and um, can, can you tell us any more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, um, the cool thing about, um, uh, about the, the Red Cross is we were, really, we were founded by, by Clara Barton, um, and the, um, uh, you know, her first job really was to, to tend to the, to the military and to the wounded um, and to give comfort and aid during, during times of military conflict during the Civil War. So she tended to um, to people on both sides of the Civil War. She tended to Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers, and so really our our history with the military goes all the way back to our to our founder. And so uh, it's a long history, and you know we we're, we do we do things that are much more modern, obviously today. Um, our biggest uh, service that we provide is emergency communication. So a lot of times you have a service member in your family who's deployed. Maybe they're overseas somewhere. Maybe they're even deployed here in the States. Um, you can't always get in touch with them right away. So if there's an emergency uh, in the family, somebody gets sick or, or injured in a car accident or there's a death in the family, and you need to be able to get a hold of that person immediately, you can call the Red Cross, and through our um, network, we will deliver that message to them. We have people who serve on the ground uh, around the world in a number of different countries um, deployed with our troops. They're on the ground in Iraq uh, and Afghanistan right now with our troops, and they deliver these messages. The other thing that we, that we do is we verify that the information in that message is true, and we let the commanders know what's going on so that if the, if the serviceman or woman requests leave um, because they had perhaps a member of their family die, we can verify with, with a funeral home or a coroner that that, uh, that information is accurate. And that helps the, uh, the commanders in the field make an informed decision about whether or not to grant leave um, to that serviceman or woman. 
So it's not only helpful to the individual serviceman or woman themselves, it's also, um, you know, helpful to the commander in the field, too. So um, that's a big service that we provide. And people say, well, you know, there's email and there's cell phones, and can't people just pick up the phone and call? And, and sometimes you can, sometimes you can't when your family member is deployed, particularly overseas in a combat zone. Um, and also, again, it's that issue of being able to provide reliable information for the commander so they can grant leave. Um, so that's one thing that we do. The other thing is, we have we have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers uh, that we place in uh, military medical facilities and uh, veterans hospitals as well uh, to to help with everything from being they assist sometimes in pharmacy operations. We have dental assistants who are Red Cross volunteers. We have people who assist in physical therapy. We run morale programs. So um, you know it's the the Red Cross lady going room to room with magazines and candy and books and things for the for the patients. Um, we do art therapy programs, we do um, scuba therapy programs, um, all sorts of really neat things that we do for the men and women in the military to make their lives better when they're either wounded uh, or when they're going to the veterans um, system and they're, and they're you know, going through one of those hospitals. I don't know if you have a, a, a chief director of accountability, but I get the sense between these the accountability and in, in, in the accuracy of communications to the within the military, the accountability for the, the funds that y'all collect, the, the accountability for the safety of the blood supply that you're providing. It's really a, a common theme within the Red Cross organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, there's not a chief accountability person, but there's a lot of us who who um, are accountable in a lot of different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we keep an eye on the finances and we have those, you know, we're transparent about those and we let the American public know that what we're doing. Um, we absolutely want to make sure we have the highest possible standards in our blood collection system um, to make sure that we have the absolute safest blood products that we can provide to America. Um, and, you know, we also, in all of the other things, we want to make sure that we provide the best services that we can to disaster victims um, and, you know, and in our work with the military as well. And one of the things, too, I should mention that, that's, that's an emerging issue with the military is the stress and the toll that uh, deployments and, and the numerous uh, military issues that we're involved in right now, the stress and strain that that's taking on um, on military families all over this nation. And so we've actually developed a course called Coping with Deployments um, that uh, teaches military families coping mechanisms for when their loved one is deployed and also when their loved one comes back home because there's a lot of transition that has to take place. Um, and sometimes the person doesn't quite come back uh, the same person as they did, uh, you know, beforehand. And so there's a lot of stress and a lot of strain when a member of the family uh, has to pick up and, and deploy for their military assignment. And so um, we're really getting into to helping families with the, the resources they need, the information they need to be able to deal with um, military deployments, particularly the multiple deployments that we're seeing with Iraq and Afghanistan right now. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent the Red Cross might get caught up in some of the politics. You, does the Red Cross play a role in assuring the treatment of prisoners? And, um, you know, I, I, you hear so much about Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo. Yeah, and where, yeah. You know, I wonder what role you all play in that. Well, you know, the American Red Cross doesn't. Um, you know, we are a neutral, impartial organization, so we do not get involved in political issues. Um, we don't, um, you know, we don't have any sort of, um, you know, statement or stance on on Iraq and Afghanistan and whether we should be or we shouldn't be or what the nation should be doing or, you know, what have you. Um, however, 
the International Committee of the Red Cross and Red Crescent does get involved, and we are a separate body from that. There are two international uh, Red Cross bodies. There's the International Committee of the Red Cross, and there's the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. We're a member of the societies, um, and there's 181 Red Cross societies, and those are the folks that you see in, in Haiti and, and the network that we're a part of that responds to disasters and crisis worldwide. The International Committee of the Red Cross is a separate uh, governing body that is responsible for upholding the Geneva Conventions. So they are the group that will go and they'll visit prisoners um, in in Guantanamo Bay. They'll also, um, and have done this many, many times over the course of, of the, the last 100 years, um, they'll go visit U.S. POWs uh, when they're being held. So it's a way to make sure that people are being, and that's a neutral body as well. Um, they're there just to check the health and welfare uh, of the, the person being held and to make sure that that person can get a message back to their family saying that they're alive and that they're well. Um, they're not there to take any stance um, whether or not a conflict is legitimate or not. They're just there to make sure that the, the welfare of combatants is being, is being um, adhered to under the Geneva Convention. Thank you for clearing that up for me. Well, I've taken so much of your time. Just in the last time that you have for me, I'd like to give our listeners specific advice on their health, their health care. In this case, you know, how they can contribute, how they can volunteer or contribute financially or however you feel like they should be contributing um, to the Red Cross or other disaster-related organizations. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you for that opportunity. You know, um, like I said earlier, we're a big organization, and, and if you want to find out more about us, I invite you to go to redcross.org uh, because you can find out just about everything you need to know there. You can find your local chapter. You can find where you can take a CPR or first aid class. Um, you can, you know, find out how to donate blood. You can find out how to donate, uh, make a monetary donation to the Red Cross. And we welcome, we welcome the monetary donations. We welcome the blood donations, and we also welcome new volunteers. Volunteers as well, so you can figure out where within the organization you fit. Whether you'd like to volunteer at a military hospital with the Red Cross, or whether you'd like to be a disaster volunteer, or what you'd like to do with the Red Cross. Um, the other thing I would encourage people to, as far as the health and welfare, one of the things we didn't talk about is the preparedness side of what we do, and we want to make sure that everyday people are ready to respond to emergencies. So if I could encourage your listeners to do anything, it's get out there and take a CPR and first aid class. Um, know what to do if an emergency happens in your home, with your family. Make sure you have your disaster supply kit ready. You can find, all, you can find out about all that on redcross.org. Make sure you have a family disaster plan, and make sure you know about your disaster risks and that you get trained in CPR and first aid. It's so vital. Anybody can do it, um, and it really can literally save a life when you least expect it. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you so much. This has been a delight, and uh, we appreciate you finding out more about the Red Cross. The Red Cross is one of many organizations at the periphery of our healthcare system, possibly even you'd say integrated into our health system, that makes a huge difference in patients' lives. You can be a part of that. You're probably already making a difference in people's lives, and I would encourage you to take stock in that and share that feeling that Laura Howe has that I have about um, the good that we're doing for others. Um, if you feel like doing more, um, you can volunteer through the Red Cross or one of many other um, health care and other organizations that make a difference in patients' lives. 
Next week, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Richard Rapport. He's a neurosurgeon uh, on the clinical faculty at the University of Washington. He's written an article among his many articles. Most recently, his article is entitled To Die of Having Lived. Um, He's going to talk to us not just about how great medical care can be, but also about the times when you don't want it, when enough's enough. Thank you for joining us uh, for today's show. I want to thank Michael Zioli for our wonderful theme music. Until next time, have a great and healthy week. Live it well. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.